Amen. Thank you. I hope you'll believe me when I say I'm very glad to be here today. Last week I had to miss, first time in 30 years I've had to go out on a uh, family car crisis and miss church. So I guess that's not a bad record, huh? It happens and things are good. So, hey, I wanted to let you know um, about Pete and Suzanne. Remember them? Yeah, of course you do, because they've just been here recently. I was in touch with them during their welcome week. They, they, are, they are missionaries that we support on the University of Illinois campus. And they um, had their welcome week. Welcome week is like the foundation of everything they do all year because they make contacts with many, many hundreds of students. And then they spend the rest of the year following up those contacts. And that's how they meet more and more people, because you meet students through students and so forth. And so um, th they had a very successful week. That's them passing out. Um, let me see if I can see what that is. Illini Life. It's, it's flyers for the, their club, and it has a schedule on it. And so now we pray that they will be able to follow up with those students who receive these, those they talk to. And um, we're excited to hear the results as they connect with students and uh, lead people to Christ, disciple those who need to be discipled. It's, it's a great ministry. We're very thankful for it. And they also have a campus church that they're a part of. So it's neat that they actually tie it into an actual local church with people from outside, which is one of the best ways to help students carry their faith outside their schooling, is if you kind of assimilate them into the world outside a little bit while they're in school. So let's pray for Pete and Suzanne at this time. Heavenly Father, we're so glad Pete and Suzanne came our way this past year. We're so thankful for the ministry and the fire they represented and the burning in their bones to share you with others. For Pete's music and Suzanne's gift of uh, teaching and kids, and we pray that you will enable them to reach out on the campus of Illinois, University of Illinois and make a difference for you. They have talked to hundreds, even thousands of students, freshmen, who are new to the campus, new to college. They've talked to those who are older. They've made all kinds of relationships. Nurture the ones, grow the ones, Lord, that you want to become very important in their lives. And Father, I pray you will work through your Holy Spirit to anoint their ministry so that many students in this very international campus will come to know you in a living, real way. Thank you, Lord, for their ministry and that we have the privilege of being a part. Amen. Amen. We're sure to keep praying for them. It's very exciting. Weren't they contagious? I just, we loved them. Yeah, it was, it was a, such a gift that they came our way. I wanted to mention, um, you witnessed Fourth Sunday, our first Fourth Sunday. Who knows what Fourth Sunday is? Ah, okay. And yeah, Tim does. Fourth Sunday is why the children were in the front row. And we previously have had the kids in every service for the worship time. A decision's been made to take the kids back for the whole time more often so that they can learn and be taught. For example, you notice that although they were having a hard time getting going, they, they had hand motions for the songs that they had learned. It's to help them feel more connected, a couple of the songs were ones that they had learned. So we're trying to give them an advantage in worship. And eventually, I believe they might even be leading us in doing these. So I, I'm excited about the first time 
bring them in, but we want to make sure that they are connected, better connected, and have a children's sermon. So this was the first of many fourth Sundays. It's not the only time they'll be in here, but it's the main time of the month when they come in to be with us. There's still going to be children's sermons at another time, and so it's not like that's all there is. We just believe that they need to be taught on their level and brought in, and their mission is to come and teach us, which I think is a pretty, I don't know if it's been phrased that way to them, but that can happen. And we pray that it will. And the fair. We've been this fair this week. I, 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 I knew this already long before it happened, but now having done it um, and being planning to do it today, I know this is going to always be my favorite week of the year. <laughs> I love what's going on there. That's, that's my thing. It's what I used to do when I was an associate pastor. It's one of my primary projects was to get people out in, into the streets and the fairs and the highways and byways and interact with the community. So how exciting, how much fun is it possible to have and how much fun is it legal to have? <laughs> um, it's, it's just absolutely wonderful. Um, Thank you for all the participation, your prayers, the pinwheels were a hit, the glow sticks are a hit, the booklets are going, people are talking to us. So many people drive by this particular facility and they come by and say, I drive by all the time and I've always wondered what goes on there and we tell them what goes on here at <laughs> a lot of those opportunities. So uh, keep praying. We had fruit from the fair. We've always had fruit from the fair and um, we're excited about that. <laughs> Well, today we're looking at a very challenging passage in James chapter 3. Mike Matice titled the book of James, The Book of Ouch. And I suppose that's a fair title. Did anybody here take driver's ed in school? Okay, or you, if you, I don't know how it works if you always have the same things in driver's ed in or out of school, I really don't know. Did you ever see the film Wheels of Tragedy? You've seen those films they show in driver's ed? Yeah, um, I'm sure there's a contemporary version now. The ones made in 1963 are probably no longer being shown. I, um, but Wheels of Tragedy is the one I saw. It was made right in Mansfield, as a matter of fact, right in um, Richland County. And it's real footage of road accidents. It shows film coverage of dead or seriously injured people which is shocking. In my, in my time, it was shocking to high school students. I don't know what it takes to shock high school students now, but in my day, it was like, Ugh! It was meant to impress upon students the importance of safe driving by graphically showing the tragic results of careless driving. That's what James is going to do for us today. He's going to talk about the tongue in very, very poignant terms to show us the importance of a controlled tongue because it's going to show us the trouble that our untamed tongues can cause. Much like Bob already expressed so clearly to the children. Great, it was a great introduction. Let's read James 3, starting in verse 1, shall we? Oh, yeah. This is good. This, and this is the fine time to do this. And then the other, the other one, I'll let you know when. But if James would agree with this based on what he says. These dogs are saying, you know, it's they that need a muzzle. How many think that's true? Maybe dogs need a muzzle, but we do too. <laughs> Love it. James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, 
because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Stop. James 3, uh, James 3 the entire chapter is written to teachers, to pastors, teachers. Uh, we're not going to deal with it specifically for teachers. It's also true of the last part of James 3. We're going to go to verse 2 and give it a broader application. Those of you who teach, think of it in light of your teaching, because it is actually meant to, to, to call that attention. Verse 2, here's where we all get in. We all stumble in many ways. There's a, that's enough of a message right there, right? If anyone has never a fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the horses of, mouths of horses we make, to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, like Bob said. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. You see why I'm saying this is Wheels of Tragedy by James, the brother of Jesus, Verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Okay. <laughs> James uses the tactic of letting us know how much trouble our tongues can cause. And if you look with me at verse 6, I'll show you why I called this Wheel of Tragedy. First of all, because the driving film is called Wheels of Tragedy. But look at what it says, verse 6. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body, corrupts the whole person. Here's the phrase I want you to focus in on. Sets the whole course of one's life on fire. Okay? Whole course of one's life. This is a term, literally it's trans, it could be translated wheel of existence. It's a pagan concept, actually. How many of you remember The Lion King? How many remember Elton John singing The Circle of Life? That's what it is. The Circle of Life, the Wheel of Existence, is what's being referenced here. It, and James sings a version of Elton John's song, and it's about the Circle of Life being burnt to a crisp by the tragedy of the tongue. Our tongues setting the wheel of life on fire, and it gets burned up. The tongue untamed, speech not subdued, communication not controlled can cause your life, at least certain parts of your life, to spin out of control in flaming destruction and end up charred and barren. So let's take some time to watch James' version of the Wheel of Tragedy film. I'm not saying it's a happy passage. I will say it's extraordinarily necessary and important. Don't let 
careless use of the God-given gift of speech turn part of your life into the scene in the wheel of tragedy. In fact, James says a lot about speech. Like Bob said, is there anywhere else in the Bible that talks about speech? There's a ton of it. James, in his letter, well, go to the beginning of James and let's read a few passages. I'm leaving out some for time's sake, but go to the beginning of James and look at chapter 1, verse 19. I want to show you how much James emphasizes the tongue, our speech. My dear brothers and sisters, in verse 19 of chapter 1, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to what? Speak and slow to become angry. Okay. Verse 26 of chapter 1. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Chapter 4, verse 11. We're skipping chapter 3 because that's where we're going to land. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. Chapter 4, verse 9. Chapter 5, verse 9, excuse me. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Ow. And verse 12, above all, of chapter 5, by brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or earth or by anything else. That's not talking about saying swear words. That's talking about taking oaths. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. How important is speech? Pretty significant. Reflects a whole lot of the Christian life. And that's why James gives us a little Wheel of Tragedy film in the middle of the letter. Right in the middle of the letter. He reminds us to drive safely through the whole letter. In chapter 3, he releases his own version of the Wheel of Tragedy, reminding us not to drive safely, but to speak safely. Let's first beware of the potential tragedy of the tongue. Okay, Beware of the potential tragedy of the tongues. First of all, our tongues can steer our direction. In... Um, Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone who has never fallen in what he, they say, they are perfect, able to keep his whole body in check. We all stumble in many ways. Can we say amen? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> James, you hit it on the head. We do. We have big, clumsy feet. We're stumbling all over the place. Just before church, I kind of stumbled on nothing. Someone was looking at me smiling as I, I walked up to one. <laughs> Happens. <laughs> I mean, we stumble with our speech. We lie. We gossip. We exaggerate. We criticize. We name call. We discourage. We ridicule. We insult. We demean. We boast, we complain, we flatter, we manipulate. Do you want me to go on? I didn't think so. We all stumble in many ways. That's the first thing James says. The second thing he tells us is that controlling the tongue is very difficult when he talks about how our tongues steer our lives. He says... Anyone who's never fallen what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. It's very hard to control the tongue, is what he's getting at. 
In fact, in Proverbs, it tells us that he who is slow to anger is better and more honorable than the mighty, and he who rules and controls his own spirit than he who captures a city. We tend to celebrate the military leaders. We need to celebrate the common people who are able to control their tongue and let their tongue be a source of life instead of death. Worth more than Norman Schwarzkopf. But we're so skew, messed up. We glorify the wrong things. Third thing is the tongue's a measure of maturity. Anyone who's never fought what they say is perfect. The word perfect doesn't mean that they're perfect without sin. It's they're complete. They're mature. Do we define spiritual maturity by the ability to control the tongue and use it for God's glory? I, I, I memorized, I remember someone once memorized the book of James. The irony is that this person had a very sharp tongue. I'm not throwing stones, I'm probably the same. I'm just saying it was like, I think you missed the point of the book you memorized. Rather learn one verse and apply it. You know, children don't control their tongues well. They say what pops up, right? That's part of being immature. They don't, um, that's the point. When I was a kid, I guess I was a real trip, and one day my mother and I went to our neighbor's house one September, or one December afternoon. I walked in their house, looked at their Christmas tree, and said, what an ugly Christmas tree. A mature person would not necessarily talk that way, <laughs> but... Um, and four, James is going to tell us now what he means. If you look with me at the bits and the, and the rudder. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. We saw that. And take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever he, the, he who's driving wants to go. Likewise. In other words... Folks, I told you about a bit, I told you about a rudder. Likewise, this is why I'm telling you about a bit and a rudder. Not just so you can hear what a bit and a rudder is, it's that the tongue is a small part of the body, like a bit and a rudder, but it makes great boasts. Like a spark can set a whole fire, a whole forest on fire. Don't underestimate. Don't let the size of the tongue fool you. Don't, don't think that the tongue is just another body part. It's a member of special significance, especially powerful influence. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I mean, think about it. A marriage can be steered by the rudder of the tongue into a long, successful journey, or it can be steered onto the rocks and destroyed by the tongue. Churches can be steered by the bit towards a long and fruitful ministry, or they can be steered right off a cliff. Ever been part of a major church conflict? So, and that's where we're headed now, that our tongues can crash our lives. They can steer our lives. They do steer our lives. How we speak determines so much of our destiny, but now they can also crash. It's not just neutral. Tongue, our tongue has a tendency to get us in trouble. Verse 6, the tongue also, here, look at this, is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. 
Why do I say don't, don't, don't pretend the tongue is just another part of the body? It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. Not a good distinction, would you say? It corrupts the whole body. Sets the whole course, the wheel of existence on fire. Itself is set on fire by hell. You know how we say, he said this, I said this, then he said this, he said this, then I said this, he said this, and then all hell broke loose. That's accurate theology. They are theologically, biblically sound in saying such a thing. Because what's the source of the fire of the tongue? And it burns, defiles. Fire burns, and notice how it says the tongue corrupts, defiles the whole body. I mean, fire burns, but there's another type of damage that comes from fire, and what is it? Primarily smoke, although there's also the heat that even if the flames don't touch, but smoke, you can have a fire in somewhere and, um, and the smoke damages makes it uninhabitable and unusable. It defiles the whole body. If you have a harsh tongue, you're going to be seen as a mean, harsh person. Fair enough? But you say, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. my speech is harsh, but my feet are great. I've been told that I should be a foot model. I have beautiful feet. Don't just judge me by what I say. I have a well-shaped nose, and look at that great hair. (laughs) No, the smoke of harshness from the flame of the tongue will define and defile you. No one's going to care about your beautiful hair if you're cutting them down. You don't just ground the tongue of your teenager. You can go anywhere you want. Your tongue stays in your room. (laughs) your boss doesn't just fire your tongue corrupts the whole body crashes your life today we talk about the dangers of secondhand smoke there's a lot of secondhand smoke from a tongue think about it You, you have a fight with your neighbor you speak critically and harshly he goes away hurt and he goes home and defiles his wife with angry words So now he's defiled and she's defiled. She then cusses out their poor dog and throws him out into the backyard. Even a poor innocent dog can't get away from it. You ever been defiled by secondhand smoke from a family fight? From a church conflict? From a workplace power struggle? You know what I'm talking about. You should be given this message. So our tongues can crash our lives. They can steer our lives one way or another. Often they, we will crash our lives because of it. And thirdly, our tongues can taint our confession. Verses 9 through 12. With the tongue, verse 9, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. 
Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. There's a lot there. Let's suffice it to talk about the fact that our confession of Christ can be tainted by our tongues that are out of control. One of the most common problems and one of the, perhaps the Christian pet sin is harshness. Somehow we think we're supposed to be tough. Even though the Bible repeatedly says gentleness is the Christ character. Somehow we think we're supposed to be critical. Even though the Bible repeatedly says the opposite. Christian dads who are fault-finding and mean. But you better be in church if you're going to live under our roof. It doesn't always work out well. Harsh, angry pastors. There's an entire paradigm of preaching called hard preaching. Where if you're not screaming, you're not preaching hard, therefore you're lame. I rode, I rode 12 hours with a group of men who believed that. It was fun. <laughs> Since when is being angry and harsh the right way to communicate the gospel? I don't find it, and I know the Bible fairly well. Mean Sunday school teachers. Church meetings that turn into bitter disputes. I mean, we could go on and give examples of praising God and then cursing men. Waitresses who say, I hate working Sundays because when church get out, gets out, it's terrible. You've heard that, but it's true. People are demanding and rude and they can be poor tippers. See, we're Christians sometimes, we, we have a Protestant work ethic and we think it's our job to impose that on everybody. So if we feel that someone else doesn't fully understand the Protestant work ethic, we're going to teach them and we're going to make them pay. That's not our job. Our job is to love people in Christ. But that's what happens. It says it's a deadly poison. It's being spewed. So our tongue. Let's move on. Our tongue can bless or curse. I just wanted to stop here for a second before we kind of bring this, land this plane. You've probably never been more glad for a message to come to an end. Right? <laughs> With the tongue, verse 9, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. You ever realize this? Harsh, demoralizing words can have the effect of a curse. Mark Verkler was here a couple weeks ago, and he talked about word curses. Prayed against word curses. I went to a seminar once on rejection, overcoming rejection. They talked about overcoming your curse identity if you've been rejected. The curse identity, what's a curse identity? It means somebody has treated you cruelly, made you feel insignificant, unimportant. That's a curse identity. You'll never amount to anything. Why can't you be more like your brother? That's a curse identity. 
I'm so thankful for my parents. Words like that would have never been imagined. I come from far from a perfect home, but that was like an unthinkable that that would have ever happened. So think about word curses. And that's one of the big things that happens to us as we hear, and sometimes it's in school, we are made fun of. Teachers say things to us. Coaches say things to us. You're a slow, lazy slob. Sometimes the way we phrase things, what's the matter with you? So something's the matter with me. And we carry that. Last point, our tongue, tongue can be, can't be tamed by our own strength. Verse 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Oh, I used to love going to SeaWorld and Aurora. I missed that. I just, it was one of my favorite places. And um, I remember one of my favorite moments was when Shamu was, the skit was that he was a movie star and they brought a photographer in to take his picture. Who remembers this? And he said, smile. And what did Shamu do? He smiled. How do you train that whale to smile? Then when one of the skits was the guy, the trainer was a dentist, and he says, open up and say, ah, Shamu opens his mouth, the trainer sticks his head in Shamu's mouth. They don't call it a killer whale for no reason. <laughs> it's amazing the things we can do. We have elephant soccer, Dogs that bark jingle bells, chimps that communicate in sign language, and porpoises that shoot baskets better than I do. But the tongue, very, very, very difficult to tame. You just as well teach Shamu to smile. James doesn't say the tongue is untamable. He says no man can tame the tongue, by the way. And this is where we're headed now. Humanly untamable, but God can do it. Okay? God can do it. And notice how he says in verse, it's like a restless poison, a restless evil full of deadly poison laying in wait. I know a lot of people who have had pet boa constrictors. I can't for the life of me imagine why anyone wants to, but they do. But they, I've never seen anyone with a pet rattlesnake wrapped around them under their coat. Why? Because of an asp, a poisonous snake has a restless, nervous nature in itself, and you cannot survive such an experience. And he says, our tongue is like, not a boa, but a... Let's prepare for the potential tragedy of our tongue, shall we? Let's look at the solution. 
Where do we go with this? If, if the tongue is untamable, if the tongue is this bad, fired by hell, if it's a restless evil, if it's going to crash my life on the rocks out of control, what do I do? You've got to give me some answers. Well, there are some answers. It's not willpower. I doubt that that's going to work. First of all, be filled with the Spirit and wisdom from above. Actually, verses 13 through 18 of James chapter 3 is the answer. We're going to start by talking specifically about the role of the Spirit because, well, as Mike said, there's a power of the Holy Spirit available that will make a huge difference with our speech. And I'm going to read these passages I have printed out on your outline. I printed them out because I wanted us to be able to quickly read through them and show you the common thread that's here. And this is not all of them. Again, I'm giving you a sampling. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, it's printed on your outline, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated upon them and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. speak. Yeah, the, the bold word, read to me. Speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Acts 4.31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the words of God brief, boldly. Chat, Ephesians 5.18 do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing that speech in a way and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Colossians 3.16, let the message of Christ, the word of Christ, anointed by the Spirit, dwell among you richly as you... Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. We could go on, but do you see the point? What's in common of all this? Filled with the Spirit, therefore you... It affects, changes, transforms how you speak. Why does God fill us with the Spirit? He changes our lives. He gives us a new nature, which changes as a very focal point of the work of the Spirit is how we speak. And I want you to notice that it's speaking in other tongues in Acts chapter 2. It's speaking the word of God boldly in Acts chapter 4. Tongues may be involved, may not be, but they were speaking the word boldly. Okay, so, and, but then when you get to Ephesians, and they're filled with the Spirit, it talks about speaking in a way one another that builds one another up. So it's, it's, it's the supernatural gifts, the sign gifts, it's... The word of God's being spoken boldly, and it's the ability to build into other people and not tear them down, but rather use words that build them up. God's a practical God. He gives us all three. It's not we should do these type, this type of thing or these type of... No, it's the Spirit wants to transform our speech. He wants to transform how we... Pre, how we, how we he wants to transform our passion and our preaching of the word of God. He wants to help give us supernatural things, and he wants us to love one another, and he gives us the Spirit, because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Isn't that powerful? 
Be filled with the Spirit. Surrender to the Spirit. Open to the Spirit. Because that's how our, because no man can tame the tongue. So who can? God can. Secondly, I'm just going to, the rest of these are all secondary results. Seek healing prayer. We talked about word curses. We talked about being spoken too harshly. If you are struggling with being spoken harshly to, with rejection, with cruel words, with ridicule, with being put down, and it's, you're carrying it into adulthood, seek healing prayer to renounce these word curses and replace them with blessings. You've got to take action. You need help with someone else to pray over you and pray with you. If you find as an adult you're still carrying the words of a parent or the words of a teacher or the words of a sibling or the words of anybody that, have been, that you've been put down. Mouth on Mission, verses 3 through 6, talks about how the tongue is a bit and a rudder. In other words, it can be stirred one way or another. Be very intentional about using your tongue for good things. If I, if I do what it says there in Hebrews chapter 10, consider how you can spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit, but encouraging one another. So intentionally walk in the doors of the church looking for ways to use my speech to build up. I'm going to run out of space to be criticizing. But if you come and look for things to criticize, what are you going to do? Criticize. Let no virtue, Ephesians, no unwholesome or rotten talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building others up according to the needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Crowd out criticism. Crowd out negativity. Crowd out competition with building others up, with looking for the good with looking for what you can take and grow. Make sense? And do not, verse 30, grieve the Holy Spirit of God for whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know what grieves the Holy Spirit? He came into our lives to transform our speech. And when we backslide into the habit of speaking, it says unwholesome, the word is picross, rotten, sour, it grieves the Holy Spirit. That's not what I'm living in you for. So that you can go on talking like the world. Ooh. I mean, it's, but that's the truth. A forgiven forebear. Notice in Colossians, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Here's the thing. We know the tongue is a fire set on fire by hell. We know it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. We know that if, if anyone can tame the tongue, they can control the whole body. In other words, it's a very difficult skill. So forgive when you're offended by someone's word or forbear, bear with them. Let's cut each other some slack. When it says bear with one another, you know someone's going to say things that are going to bother you. You know you're going to hurt one another with your speech. You know how hard it is for you to control your tongue. It's just as hard for them. Different people have different struggles that are fueling their tongues from their background. So in this area, let's not be touchy. Let's not take umbrance at everything that people say. Let's realize, as Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. 
And therefore, you gotta say we're all in the same boat. Let's bear with one another. And if something does offend me, I need to handle it right. And that goes on to the last one, which is confess, repent, and reconcile. Because I suspect you've probably offended someone with your speech. Just a hunch. Confess that to God, perhaps to them if, you, if it's possible. Repent of speech that we've... Repent of the times that we've overlooked it and said that's just the way I am. And when possible, reconcile. Sometimes it's not possible. But we need to go to people and we need to make things right. When I've said something hurtful. Sometimes the relationship will never be the same again. Look at this. Sorry about... Reflect on your scripts. Oh. Reflect on the scripts and the messages you were handed from family, from church, or wherever they came from, and look at them in the truth of the whole scripture. What's the scripts you were, you were handed by your family and from your background? Very important to say, that's, I need to look at it in the light of scripture, in the light of God's truth. All right, go, yeah, you can turn that off. Um, so let's do some business at the end of our service. We uh, have a time of prayer at the end of our service, and I want to invite you to uh, make this your time of prayer. If you need prayer for words that were spoken to you, I invite you to come and receive prayer. You can just... Let us know I've, I've word curses. Maybe you've spoken word curses over yourself. We can curse ourselves. I'm no good, I can't do that. I'm the dumbest person I know. I look in the mirror, I'm so ugly. Quit nodding your head back there. <laughs> um, maybe you're saying I really wanna control my tongue. I, I, I see, I, I'm, watching, we, I'm watching James' version of Wheels of Tragedy and I know I need God to tame my tongue. I need to change and I don't know how. We'll take this home. But I also encourage you, come for prayer. This is an area where we need each other's help. We're not likely to do this alone. And Bob gave us a prayer, which I had on your outline, and I took off, and Bob gave it back to us. Set a guard over my tongue. Set a watch, set watch over my words, Lord. Set a guard over my lips, my mouth. We can pray, God, watch my tongue. Yeah, you guys can come forward. The first step, of course, is to know Jesus Christ as Savior. We can't be filled with the Holy Spirit unless we know Jesus as Savior. He will come and indwell us. This Holy Spirit will come and indwell us. Born again, we will receive a new nature, a new ability to live and overcome sin. And then we can also surrender and receive greater infillings of the Spirit. So I encourage you, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've come to church and you've nodded the, your head to Christianity, said it's a good thing, it's a good part of American culture. Well, it's not a good part of American culture if you don't receive Jesus as your Savior and be forgiven. If you know about it and don't accept him, it's, it's a mark of condemnation on you because you haven't received the witness God gave of his son. So be sure you know Jesus.
you will forgive your sin, receive him as your savior, accept the cross as payment for sin. And then when the spirit comes in, and I want us to adopt that posture that I talked about a couple times before from the Shawshank Redemption, where Andy comes out of the sewer pipe, crawled through the sewer pipe for a mile and a half or whatever it was. Yeah, it was, it's, a, it's an amazing scene. And he lands in the river, or it's a big puddle. I don't know what, it's pouring rain. And he just throws up his arms and goes, he's out of the prison. He's gone through the muck. Wash me, fill me, I'm clean, I'm free. And we need to be that open. Father, spirit, fill me. Fill me. Change my speech. Give me a new language. Give me power to speak that honors you and builds up people. Amen.